wind of change is blowing through this continent. And whether we like it or not, this growth of national consciousness is a political fact. When British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan addressed the South African Parliament in February 1960, he was stating the obvious to a furious audience in denial. Indeed, the winds of change had begun to rapidly sweep through Africa, collapsing colonial powers in its wake. The apartheid government knew it was on shaky ground when the first explosions of sabotage took place less than two years later, on the 16th of December 1961. There was no stopping the young ANC cadres from leaving the country in droves to take up arms. By that time, ANC President Albert Lutuli was banned in KwaZulu-Natal and his movement needed a new and more active underground leader. Nelson Mandela became that leader. One of Nelson Mandela's first tasks was to seek support for South Africa's liberation struggle from the continent. At midday on the 11th of January 1962, 43-year-old Mandela slipped through the border to Lobatse in Botswana. He was nervous about the police and about leaving South Africa for the first time in his life. After all the paperwork had been done, Mandela and one of the first ANC Youth League members, Joe Matthews, flew to Tanzania. There, Mandela met President Julius Nyerere, who suggested that the armed struggle be postponed until PAC leader Robert Sobukwe had been released from jail. But Nyerere could well have been talking to himself, because Mandela continued his African journey in search of military, financial and other assistance. On his first trip outside South Africa, Mandela was to meet a man who would have a lasting impression on him. Fascinated by the politics of Ethiopia and its emperor Haile Selassie, Mandela said at the time, and I quote, Long before the arrival of the white man, Africans had developed mining, which had provided social surplus and finance monuments from the Nile to Zimbabwe. Close quotes. African leaders at the Pan-African Freedom Conference in Addis Ababa were blown away by Mandela's speech, described as the most important in his career at that stage. Jointly prepared with exiled ANC leader Oliver Tambo and an organizer of the 1955 Congress of the People, Robert Kesha, that speech is believed to have contributed to the formation of the Organization of African Unity in 1963. In Tunisia, President Habib Bourguiba offered to train ANC freedom fighters and pledged 5,000 pounds for weapons. A satisfied Nelson Mandela proceeded to Morocco where African liberation movements were being trained. That's where Mandela met one of Africa's most important revolutionary figures. Ahmed Ben Bella had just been released from a French prison after leading the Algerian revolution and became independent Algeria's first president. Speaking through an interpreter, Ben Bella recalled that first meeting with Mandela. When Algeria got her independence, she wanted to help all the other African countries to get free. And I remember very, very well uh, when I met Mandela. And I remember that all the more reason that it took place in my native village. We trained him in two centers, bases, one in Wujda, in Morocco, in the frontiers with Algeria, and one in Marnia, on the Algerian territory. He was with a lot of other people, such as Nieto from Angola, Michel from Mozambique, Cabral. There was also Che Guevara, who stayed here for six months. So we trained them and we gave them all what they needed, including money, papers, and weapons. 
We had someone from Morocco called Abdel Karim Khatib, who was the head of the Liberation Army in uh, Morocco, and he helped Mandela a lot. Me and him, we had created a Moroccan-Algerian staff of liberation war, and both of us had helped Mandela, and we gave him arms and everything. The young Nelson was also received by Algerian freedom fighter Noureddin Judy, who was not only instrumental in setting up the OAU, but also served as Algeria's ambassador in post-apartheid South Africa. A framed picture in the Algerian Military Museum shows Mandela towering over Geisha and Judy. But it is what I would call uh, the most happy accident I ever experienced in my life. I was at the time with the uh, general headquarters of the Liberation Army. And we got news that uh, the leadership of ANC had decided to set up Mkontofis his way. So how to bring in Madiba whilst keeping the whole thing secret? It's very difficult. Mm. We had a group of people coming from the former Portuguese colonies. So he was included in. The commander who received the group said, look, uh, I can handle this, but I don't understand English. And somebody said, look, we have only one officer here who speaks English. Maybe you can call him. And that's how I was called, simply because I spoke English. It was a bit tough for me because there were a handful of people who knew about the identity of uh, Nelson Mandela, including President Bouteflika. And I was told, if it leaks out, my head is at stake (laughs) because we had to protect him. Inspired mainly by the Algerian and Cuban revolutions, Nelson Mandela became a die-hard guerrilla. He was convinced that the armed struggle was the only way forward, even if Chief Albert Lutuli didn't approve. Mandela traveled through several West African countries, meeting key figures such as Leopold Senghor of Senegal. He also passed through Sudan and made a quick stop in London to meet Tambor again, before returning to Ethiopia for six months of military training. That's where he first handled an automatic rifle and pistol. In his diary, he recorded that he received his first lesson in demolition, fired mortars, made bombs, went on to fatigue marches through forests, and learned all about guerrilla warfare. It was a short-lived guerrilla career, though, because he was arrested shortly after returning home. But the arrest of Nelson Mandela and other ANC leaders didn't stop the liberation movement. Instead, it grew faster with Tambo leading from the ANC's headquarters on the Makene farm in Lusaka, Zambia. Young revolutionaries were springing up all over the place. Zambian President Kenneth Kaunda had given the ANC a piece of land from which it launched the armed struggle against the apartheid government. Could you do it again if asked to do so? It was possible a million times. I would do it. The point I made, if... It was a matter of principle that we did that. That principle is God's commandment. So there's no way of saying tomorrow we might have done it differently. No way at all. Pressure for sanctions to be imposed on South Africa was also mounting. Tambo was convinced that Nelson Mandela was behind these calls. In Tambo's words, and I quote, Mandela and his friend Walter Sisulu were perhaps the fastest to get to grips with the harsh realities of the African struggle against the most powerful adversary, a highly industrialized, well-armed state manned by a fanatical group of white men determined to defend their privilege. Close quotes. This stance divided many Western nations. To the dismay of the ANC, 
British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher made it clear that her country would not support sanctions. Speaking at the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in Kuala Lumpur, Mrs Thatcher repeated that sanctions only increase the suffering of black people. I would prefer not to express any opinion as far as her future attitude on this subject. Tambo also took her to task. But it will end with or without Mrs Thatcher's support. But the American administration under J.F. Kennedy read the situation and called on state departments to make contact with Africans in the event of a black revolution. The rest, as they say, is history. Economic sanctions against South Africa were first enacted by the UN General Assembly in 1962 and the UN Security Council instituted a voluntary arms embargo in 1963. One of the first things that Nelson Mandela did after being released from jail on the 11th of February 1990 was to visit countries such as Zimbabwe and Zambia to thank them for contributing to South Africa's freedom. This is not the occasion for nice words. It is an occasion where a man should speak from the heart. To be in Lusaka, the city which has been our headquarters during the last 10 years. As South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Mandela remained loyal to his African allies and was determined to help the continent achieve peace, stability and democracy. President Chisano and myself met uh, King Mswati III of Sutherland and we raised our concern about uh, the several trade union leaders who have been uh, arrested and charged. President Nelson Mandela arrived in Tripoli, Libya yesterday to a very warm welcome. He's gone to Libya despite strong criticism from the United States. President Mandela is the most significant guest to be received by the Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi since the UN imposed sanctions against the country because of its failure to hand over two men accused of bombing an American airliner in 1988. But one of Mandela's first missions to stop Nigerian military dictator Sani Abacha from executing poet Ken Serowiwa failed in 1995. Two years later, Mandela was asked to mediate between Congolese rivals Mobutu Sesiseko and Lauren Kabila. One of his tactics involved a meeting aboard the SAS Otaniqua off the mouth of the Congo River. They are bringing two outstanding leaders who are conscious of the importance Nelson Mandela's mission in Africa set the stage for his presidential successor. Africa reaffirms that she is continuing her rise from the ashes. Madiba had become the father of the entire continent, commanding respect and preaching love, peace and compassion. Today, the Africa he leaves behind appears ready to embrace all that Madiba stood for. I'm Miranda Stradham in Swanland.